Okay, well, sorry to um, break up your conversations. Um, before we dive in, uh, don't normally do this, but um, just want to welcome our dear friend David Crummy, together with his lovely wife Fiona, uh, from Green Island Presbyterian Church, who's the minister there. You've been there since seven months, so it's wonderful. Great to have you with us on a Sunday off. Great. Your church know that? No? <laughs> They're all in the car park. <laughs> Is he going to open the doors or what? So uh, it's so good to have you with us, guys. Um, we, we continue our journey with two or three weeks left um, on what I think has been an incredibly important and transformational series on Emotional Healthy Church. And uh, we wholeheartedly want to commend to you Celebrate Recovery, the group that is soon to start. So excited that so many of you have shown interest in that. And it's just a great space to really journey and go deeper with some of the stuff that we've been talking about over the last number of weeks. Uh, We're under no illusions that this has been a really intensive series. And uh, for some of you, uh, you've been around the block a while and, you know, you've delved into this stuff before and you're just like... You're in a place where emotional health is good and secure, and that's fantastic. For others, this has been a season, an opportunity to just allow God, to invite God back into all those nooks and crannies and skeletons and all the rest in in life, and just allow him to peel back some of the layers that that kind of keep you from entering fully into his presence. And at the same time, really aware that for some of you, this is new stuff. And this is like, goodness me, this is really getting underneath the skin here. And, uh, but it's been great. It's just been great to, to hear your responses of how God is uh, just interacting with you and giving you permission to uh, unpack the things that keep you. And what we want to do this morning is touch on uh, what is, uh, affects every single one of us. Um, and it's grief. And loss, and that's what we're going to be sharing this morning. And uh, so, buckle up. Here we go. Uh, people in, in emotional healthy church embrace grief as a way to becoming more like Jesus, grieving our losses appropriately and with the help of Jesus and often His friends, which is us, is the pathway to becoming compassionate people like Jesus. As we feel our own personal losses and sufferings. We allow ourselves to really feel it. And then we allow Jesus in. We are able to let go of the negative effects it has on us. Grief that we suffer, loss, which range from the most heart and gut-wrenching things through to the sim- what we would think is simple or mundane, but nonetheless affects us, creates a negativity in us. And it's not always that it's something to get over. I'll just get over it. It's more that we're able to uh, let go of the negative effects that it has on us. And as we do that, we cultivate a heart uh, giving us compassion uh, for others. Uh, Contrast this. Jacob learns of the supposed death of his favoured son, Joseph. Okay, We're going to just compare Bible with modern day kind of living. Um, Jacob learns of the supposed death of his favorite son, Joseph. Jacob tears his clothes and he puts on sackcloth 
Sackcloth was like a dark garment which was kind of hairy and prickly. And it was, what, it was just a garment that would, people would put on for all different manner of things, actually. But mourning was one of them. Mourning the loss of a loved one. And he mourned his son, his favoured son, for many days. Another example. David learns that his son Absalom has had his, bro, his own brother Amnon killed. And we read this. Uh, the king stood up, tore his clothes, and lay down on the ground. And all his attendants stood by with their clothes torn. Granted that these examples are about mourning the death of a loved one. But nonetheless, in biblical times, there was a physical kind of outward appearance that they would go to. They would go to great lengths, uh, not only physically in terms of what they wore, what they did with their, with their clothes, but it was an outward expression of what was actually going on on the inside. And it lasted several days. The people of the Bible and people still today in Eastern culture really know how to grieve. Uh, and in fact, uh, talking to Malcolm and Melania during the week, it sounds like the Portuguese do as well. Uh, they, they dress up in, in black what seems for a long time and forever. And, uh, and that's just like a, they, they kind of know how to grieve. They know how to kind of just process what has been lost. Compare those, though, with a modern-day story or modern-day stories. A person separates from their spouse and quickly finds someone else. A couple lose a child through miscarriage or difficult birth, and they're encouraged to get back to normality. A person loses a loved one suddenly and goes back to work the next day, burying their feelings by being busy at work. A good friend moves to another country, and you go out quickly and make new friends. A loved one gradually deteriorates with ill health and you are urged to perk up and remember the good times. A person loses a job they loved and told, well, at least you've still got your health. You see the difference? It's almost like just, just pucker up and get on with it. Just, uh, today's a new day. Just get on with it. As I was um, preparing, I, I, I remember the story from just the, the magnificent film called Top Gun. Some of you will know it. Some of you won't. So here, here we go. Top Gun is about a... The naval aviators, they go to top the best of the best. Like it's the most cliched and spoken of um, words from, from this film. And Maverick, played by Tom Cruise, loses <coughs> his navigator, Goose, who's not only his navigator, but a long-term dear friend of his. And they've gone through pilot school together and all the rest. And he loses him in this accident and he dies. And very quickly, he's told, get on with it. Get back up in the air. It's a bit like when you fall off your bike. It's like, and this is probably the best thing, is just get back on it again. Just go again. But he's told, no, get back in the planes and get back up in the sky. And you've got to fight it. You've got to be the best. And he just wasn't given the space, dear loving, to grieve the pain of the loss of, of Gooseman. Although I did really like the, uh, the bit in it where, uh, he throws Goose's dog tags into the sea. That was a great moment. I can nearly feel it now. You know, the, do you remember the music that went along to that? <laughs> Come on, help me out here. <laughs> Where's Burger? Don't you dare take a recording, a snippet of this from what I've just said and make it into a ringtone. Because <laughs> he has done that before. <laughs> What do we do? There's lots of things. We bury our head in the sand. We just get on with life. 
We self-medicate with sex and drugs, alcohol, exercise, work and clothing. We just don't deal with it. And we as the church need to know how to deal with it. We need to learn how to grieve the loss well, and to process it. And we need to give each other permission uh, and encourage one another to do that. And we're going to look at this uh, three phases. The first one is a lot longer than two and three, so if I'm rambling, you're thinking, man, when's he going to get to the second and third? The first one is the longest. And it's paying attention to our pain and loss as part of the grieving process. We're going to look at David in the Old Testament. He pays attention to pain and loss really, really well. He has a deep love and respect for King Saul and was best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And during David's time in the wilderness, uh, the two of them, Saul and his son, Jonathan, his best mate, um, are killed in battle by the Philistines. And it marks the end of Saul's reign as king for 40 years of the nation and the people of Israel. Then David and all the men, this is from 2 Samuel 1, David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord Excuse me. And for the nation of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. When David had learnt of their deaths, he did not return to business as usual. He did not run out and get on with the job of becoming king because he was he was the heir to the throne. He was going to be king and he later becomes king. But he didn't rush into those things. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament. He writes a song basically. The word lament is kind of a song of grief and of loss and he writes, uh, he writes a really long thing. You can find it's in 2 Samuel 1 and uh, part of it he says this, oh my dear brother Jonathan, I'm crushed by your death. Your friendship was a miracle wonder, love far exceeding anything I've known or ever hope to know. David actually orders the people to learn the lament as well. So it's not just a deeply personal thing that David's suffering. He actually leads and teaches the people of Israel, you need to do this as well. You need to mourn the loss of our king. And we need to do this together. And he leads the people. The only thing I can liken it to is the death of Princess Diana. For those of you who are around, in 97 I think, I remember it well and so, so will you if you were born and around those days. When, when, when we wake up to the discovery that, that she's gone, it's such a tragedy. And it was that period and process of, of hundreds and thousands of people going to London. It's one of our regrets, Chantelle was in England at the time, that we never went to London and, and, and at least visited where they laid thousands and thousands of flowers people, the nation, just kind of gather together as they mourn the loss of this significant person. David deals with his grief, but he leads others as well. Why does he take the time to lead the people? Why does he want to express their sorrow at the loss of Saul and Jonathan? He does it 
because he knows how important it is for emotional and spiritual maturity. He does it because he knows how important it is to take time to fully grieve. And he does it to stay connected instead of running away. Some of you will have heard this story uh, before, so you can fill in the gaps. Um, When I was uh, 16, uh, I became a Christian. That was when I uh, found Jesus, met Jesus for the first time. And it was in around the same time that my, uh, uh, my first love girlfriend dumped me. That's not funny. I can't believe you're laughing at that. In all seriousness, let's try and recapture some of the moment. (laughs) But not too much of the moment. (laughs) So we we, we were dating for a couple of years. It was a serious kind of teenage love kind of thing going on. And I remember she dumped me. I can't believe that. I can't believe that still. I know you're finding that hard to believe also. But but I remember it was around the time I'd become a Christian. I I had no real knowledge of how to pray or any of that sort of stuff. But I knew deep down I was absolutely gutted now this doesn't begin to compare with with the separation of a spouse or a long long term relationship I'm fully fully aware of that but the thing still is the same in terms of this loss and almost like this betrayal or this whatever it might be and I just didn't know what to do with it and so the best place that I knew to get away from everyone in my house was to go to the garden shed and we had a long, narrow garden. We went to the, I went to the back of the garden shed, away from mum, dad, and sister. And uh, there was nowhere to sit. And uh, so those of you who heard the story, where did I sit? Can you remember? I have told this story, have I not? can't believe it. I sat in the wheelbarrow. It was the, it was the only place kind of I could sit. So I, I sat in the wheelbarrow, what felt like an hour. It probably wasn't, but it was probably a good 20, 30 minutes. And, and honestly, I just, I just cried my eyes out. just bawled my eyes out. But with it, I, I kind of just was, I was just telling God how I felt. And it was just like, God, I'm absolutely gutted. I just feel like this. And I was, I was just speaking this kind of language like I'm telling you now. That was a prayer. It was a gut-wrenching, heartfelt, from the deepest part of me, prayer. And just getting it out, really. Getting it out. And it's in that place that you begin to feel and experience it but it's also in that place that you begin to invite Jesus in as well I just think with all this stuff you've got to do the hard yards you you, you have a choice you can either run away from it or you can run to him uh, with it as well the book of Psalms um, sorry the book of Psalms um, are possible uh, are possibly the most popular book in the Bible. There's 150 of them. And uh, there's a psalm for every season. There's psalms of adoration, of thanksgiving, of wisdom, repentance and doubt. But over half of the 150 psalms are psalms of lament. Lament. And here's just a few uh, lines from individual ones. Tears have been my food day and night. Another one. Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Another one. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. These are lines from the songs of lament from the Psalms. The Psalms which are meant to be worship songs. 
we heard this story a number of years ago. It was by a man called Bishop Graham Cray. And, and he basically challenged some of the new songwriters of the day, basically saying, where are your songs of lament? Where are the songs that are written? And if we think about the songs that we sing, that we've sung this morning, this is no disrespect to the guys that led us brilliantly this morning, or each and every week, but most of them are joyful songs, they're intimate songs, they're love songs, they're God, you're amazing, we love you, all that sort of stuff. And yet a song of lament, it takes up over the half of the Psalms that display the gut-wrenching feelings that we have inside of us. It's in the book, and we must express it. I was watching, I think it was the BAFTAs during the week, and uh, one of the guys that got up, one of the award winners, and it might have been, but I can't be sure, it might have been for that film Inside Out. Is that the film? The cartoony one that expresses emotions for children? And uh, I think it was that one anyway. The award winner gets up and he basically encourages the children to express their emotions through writing, through song uh, writing, through art and through creativity. I just thought that was such a helpful way of getting children to express what's going on on the inside out. It kind of got me thinking, you know, that, that's not my bag. Like, you know me, if you know me, you know me. That, I, I'm not good with poems. Um, or that sort of stuff. And that's no disrespect. I just, I just can't articulate it kind of that way. And so we need to find other ways that we do this. And I, I just reflected. I remember when my dad passed away. Um, this is about six years ago now. And um, uh, I remember giving some time off work. I was, we were in Coleraine at the time. And I remember just going for a walk in Springwell Forest. It was really, really cold, icy day. I was on my own for what, it was a good two or three hours. I just walked and I just talked. Walked and talked. It was just the same old stuff, the same as the wheelbarrow. It was like, God, this is, this is where I'm at. This is how I'm feeling. This is, and just begin to pour it out appropriately and inviting uh, Jesus into it as well. We must pay attention in the moment and deal honestly and prayerfully with the grief and the loss. And we must find ways in order to express it. The second bit, and I'd said that these were short and they are, is waiting in the confusion in the in-between moment. And this is the period which can be depicted or displayed, the period of time between the cross and Pentecost. The cross which Jesus dies where the disciples are absolutely gutted and devastated at the loss of Jesus. We thought he was meant to be this. He spoke of that. And they're just lost and confused. And they were still sort of lost and confused, even after the resurrection three days later. And it wasn't until the 50 days later at Pentecost that the penny suddenly dropped of what it was all about and how the disciples became the apostles and how they started and created the early church. It was in that in-between confusing moment of, goodness, what's gone on? What's just happened in that moment, in that time? It's in this place that we wait and we reflect. We look back and it requires time and it requires stopping. It requires slowing down, giving ourselves permission to feel. And very often in those times, again, finding someone 
to journey this with honestly and openly. Let us remember what I said at the beginning, that losses and death and grief is not something that we get over. It's something that we uh, are able to let go of the negative effects of that which we have lost and are able to go deeper in terms of relationship with Jesus. Some of that too is not only reflecting in the pain there and then in the moment, but it's often looking back, looking way back. And I spoke of this a couple of times um, through the skillful help of a counsellor where I have put myself in that position for a number of weeks with with a person who simply is able to ask good questions and is able to So basically hold up a mirror, figuratively speaking, and and reflect what's going on, what's really kind of going on, and giving me permission, encouragement to go back to those places and events in life in order to, uh, to deal much more appropriately with the effects that they had on me. And then lastly, the third phase is allowing the old to birth the new. And this is the most wonderful and beautiful part of it all. Jesus defines the growth process in these words. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and die, it remains only a single wheat. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The Christian life is one of dying so that a new door may be open to a new life. And Henry Nguyen Uh, said this, he said, the degree to which we grieve our losses is the degree in which we are compassionate. The degree in which we are able to process our own losses is the degree in which we're able to receive other people. And by absorbing our own pain, not absorbing and taking it in, but actually dealing with it healthily, we are able to enter the pain of other people and we become more compassionate as we do that and in so doing we as people become less covetous or idolatrous we are less concerned about impressing other people we are more comfortable with the mystery of life and living in the present of the not knowing better we become more humble less fears and therefore a greater ability to take risks we are more sensitive to the poor to the widow the lonely, the rejected, and we are more at home with ourselves and with God. Last story. Um, I love our church. I love it that we get to be honest and be real and be genuine and we say come as you are but don't stay as you are and we mean it and we do it and I just love that about us it's just wonderful and so we create spaces in these times on the Sundays we create spaces um, in our life groups in order to journey and do life with each other and we create spaces and we encourage you and urge you to get together and have coffee with each other during the week. And that goes on. 
And that's sharing life. And that's being willing to be made known and know other people. That's journeying life together. I love that. Uh, some of you will know my mum passed away uh, three years ago. Just about, just over three years ago. And um, I, I'd returned, uh, I was in England, and um, that was a painful experience, as you can imagine. And I'd returned, it was the first Sunday back. And um, I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to come to church. I, I, I just... It was kind of, oh man, I I just want another Sunday off. But I knew I had to come to church. I had to come to church. And actually I wanted to come to church more than I didn't want to. Why? Because I wanted to be in his presence. And when we come, we enter into his presence. And it's in that place that we meet with him and he meets with us. And I needed to put myself in that place, in that environment to be in his presence. I came to church as well for a couple of other reasons. One is because I knew people loved me here and cared for me. And I remember, Flip, I'm going to get emotional I'm telling you, I can't believe this. I remember, I think I was standing here, it was during the worship, and I remember Johnny and Leanne Graham standing beside me, either side of me. And they just held me. I think it was during the worship, I can't remember. And they just kind of like, I don't know, they put their arms around me or whatever. And again, I'll be honest with you, to begin with, it kind of felt slightly awkward. But I quickly got over myself. Because we need to do that as well, don't we? We actually need to get over ourselves and just let them. And they didn't, they didn't pray anything. Because they didn't need to. They didn't say anything. They just, they just held me, right? And in that moment, I just thought, my goodness, this is the people of God. This is the family of God. This is just being and standing with us. And the other thing is, I had to be in church. I didn't have to be in church, but I wanted to be in church to say that's how we do it. I had to lead. Painful that that was, I had to lead and say this is when life is like this, This is where we come to. These are the people I want to share my life with and journey this stuff with. And I hope that makes sense to you. Why don't the guys come? Please, that would be wonderful. We're going to worship just briefly and then we're going to give some space and some time to see what God wants to do with us.